Hear ye, hear ye. I bring this session of movie club to order. I submit for the approval of the movie club, the man who wasn't there. Who will be judged. Welcome to Movie Club. I'm Kyle. I'm Davinia. I'm Miro. And we just watched The Man Who Wasn't There. So let's talk about it. Okay, how to set this one up. It's a Coen Brothers film from 2001. Great cast with Billy Bob Thornton, Francis McDormand, Scarlett Johansson's in it, Tony Shalhoub, James Gandolfini. Good, great cast. It's a kind of a black and white neo-noir. Basically, it's about a barber, Ed Crane. And he's living an emotionless, drifting through life existence where he's more the barber than a person. And he tries to take advantage of a shady investment opportunity by blackmailing his wife's boss, who he has discovered his wife is having an affair with. This causes his wife, who's her boss's accountant, to embezzle money so that the boss can pay her husband. And it ends up in a murder and with his wife going to jail for the murder instead of him. It's really kind of about his search for meaning in life and confronting death. Why do you think he was like that? Was he some kind of an introvert? It's a good question. And obviously the title of the film, right? The man who wasn't there, he's kind of not present for his life. Yeah, he's more of an observer, which they also, they mentioned the Heisenberg principle a lot in this film like the uncertainty principle. And <laughs> the more you observe something, the less you understand it. And the movie's set up as him looking back at his own life. We find out at the end that he's, all the narration that you're hearing is he's actually writing his story for a men's pulp magazine. It's like a true crime type scandalous kind of magazine. I must say that the narration was not for me in the beginning. And then later, somehow he improved. Or maybe I got used to it. It's definitely like a noir film in a lot of ways. It's not a detective story, but it has a lot of, obviously, the look of it. But more than that, too. And so I would say that kind of narration, that kind of hard-boiled narration, which he's actually like a perfect kind of character for, because lines like, I don't talk much. I'm just the barber. That's like hard-boiled detective dialogue from the 40s. So I think in that aspect, like the narration is kind of a crucial component when you're doing that kind of film. And it's just like a stylistic thing that kind of has to be done, in my opinion, if you're doing like a something about noir. I must say this noir style for this movie, it was actually shot in color and later developed mm. black and white. This usually I seen film from, as you said, from detective point of view. Mm -hmm. This was just the barber, right? Right. Just, it was strange, but I kind of liked it. But I guess he's kind of like a detective in a way, right? He's trying to find something about himself or his life. And that's what the ultimate detective story of the movie is. It is a very strange story and it moves very slowly, but I don't think that it's ever boring. And, and just by the nature of the main character, who's very detached from life and himself even, and the things going on around him, it just leads to a tone and a pace, which are quite unique, I think. He's also, quote unquote, a very um, normal character. He's not like the detective. He's just the barber, mm. quote unquote. Is he normal, though? I wonder. I know what you mean, definitely. Like, I know what you mean. He's not extraordinary in any way. But his emotionlessness was disturbing to me because nobody behaves like that. There's a scene where his wife's boss discovers that actually he is blackmailing him and he confronts him. Like, I know it was you. I would expect at least some panic. And he's like, well, goodbye. And he stands up and tries to leave. And then there is a fighting scene where he actually murders his wife's boss. He murdered him in most passive way, right? 
the foreshadowing on that, of course, I mean, this was made on purpose. There was this scene where he called him to his office when they were on some party. And the starting of the scene started with two or five seconds shot on the cigar knife. It's, oh, what will happen here? <laughs> well, I mean, it adds to the tension of that first scene because you don't know if he has already guessed that that's the guy blackmailing him or not. So you have this knife floating around and then you kind of forget about it for a bit because he doesn't know that it's him at first and he breaks down and has these weird kind of emotional scenes with Ed. But definitely the way they show it, you know, if you show a gun, it's got to go off at some point. And the way it was shot is so clear that knife is going to get used at some point. Which, what a terrible knife to be stabbed with, by the way. Yeah. Holy damn. Barbed and everything. Ugh. And my point was that he was emotionless throughout the whole thing. Nothing. Well, I think I do detect a flash of fear of death when he really realizes this guy's going to strangle me out. And that's when he stabs him. But it's like... It's too little. The least he could do. I understand this was a choice. This was a character choice. This is not like his insufficiency of acting. Yes. Oh, no. no. Uh, of course, he acted very well. hard to play this it kind is. of level of it emotionlessness. Is. He had to be somehow emotionally ill to be in this way. There's people who go about their day and are a barber and they're fine being just a barber. I mean it more like you become more of like a symbol of a thing than a person. Ed's whole life was just default mode. This woman wants to marry him after a couple of weeks. He marries her. Why not? Hmm. Um, he works here because it's convenient. Why not? He doesn't hate his job. He doesn't love his job. I think there's a lot of people that are like that. Now, the difference is yeah. some people don't have any introspection. Now, I think Ed could be a philosopher, but he doesn't have the creativity or any, he doesn't have the or means the to do that. He's like someone who could be a great artist, but has zero talent. And so Ed could have been like Sartre or Albert Camus or one of these existentialist philosophers, but all he ends up writing is like a lurid kind of pulp tale. And I think there's a lot of people that recognize a lot of the meaninglessness and absurdity of modern life. There's a word for it. It's ennui. And Ed is just in this position where he can think about it, but he can't really figure it out. Can't figure out what? Life. Uh -huh. okay. Like his life or general? Both. Mm -hmm. What it all means, any of the questions, anything important. And so he has these kind of weird insight moments. Frank? Huh? This hair. Yeah. You ever wonder about it? What do you mean? I don't know. How it keeps on coming. It just keeps growing. Yeah. Lucky for us, Papa. No, I mean, it keeps growing. It's part of us. And then we cut it off and throw it away. Come on, Eddie. You're going to scare the kid. He's just not the type of guy who can do anything about it. He's not going to create a great work of art. That's why he tries to promote Birdie, the daughter of a family friend uh, who he listens to play piano. That's like his only escape is through this kind of art that he connects with from the mundane nature of life, of modern life specifically. That was a weird relationship they had there because mm. he seemed genuine in supporting her career as a piano player. And she didn't really want it. She was like, yeah, well, you know, yeah. typical teenager, whatever. I don't. She wants a normal job. I never thought about having a career out of this. Right. And he really, really tries to. And then she, for some reason, yeah. I think she thought 
he's supporting yeah. her because he wants to have sex with her. That's yeah. why something. later yeah. in the movie, when they are going in a car from this renowned piano teacher, or no, this was general music teacher, who mm-hmm. denied her, as French, he described. Hey, yeah, he was French. And he described her like, she's a good technical, but there is no soul. Right. Which I think the soul of an artist. Yeah, same as him. Yeah, yeah, same as him. So she wouldn't ever be a great a piano player. And he's very distraught about that. And then suddenly she started giving him a blowjob. Yeah, but she was like into it. Oh, yeah. She was that's weird. This is weird. Yeah. She wants to just make him happy. There's something with her father um, oh who's kind of like checked out all the time. You never see her mother. So I believe she might be dead. Hmm. And here's like an older man. Billy Bob Thornton's, uh, you know, he's, he could be a good looking dude, I guess. And it also, it's like the 50s. Like, not that it would be normal or anything but i can see like a young teenage girl he, this guy's like showing interest in her and stuff i could see it and she thinks yeah that's just so he that's... doesn't try to do anything in fact he's like really shocked that she tries to do that and i wonder that's to... why they even get in the car accident to begin with because he's like shocked mm-hmm. with like the fact that you'd think of him that way and he curses just like annie wilkes heavens to betsy heavens <laughs> to betsy <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, actually, I wanted to cricket. bring this up because I remember that I thought Roger Ebert, who's a famous critic, if anyone's not familiar, probably the most famous film critic, like popular film critic of all time. And in this film, he said two things about it. And he gave it a really, really great review. I think he gave it four stars out of four, maybe. But he said that the main character, Ed Crane, is a character who's so dissatisfied with life that he, or so bored with life that he could scream. And also, Roger Ebert thought that he was actually interested in Birdie sexually. So first of all, if he wanted to scream, he would have done it in the movie at some point. It's not that he's not letting his emotions out. He doesn't have them. He's like numb. And I'd thoroughly disagree that he has any kind of sexual interest in Birdie. I think it's purely the musical talent and artistic talent. The young Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> yeah. I was I was shocked there. Uh, yeah, like, she's super young. I, yeah, I recognize her immediately. When she, first she's introduced, she's turned back yeah. to the camera playing piano. I was like, ah, oh, yeah. that's her. That's her. Look at her. Yeah. And then she turned like, yes, I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think all the performances in this movie are really good, quite honestly. There's a lot of Cohen quirkiness to it. I don't know if you guys have seen lots of Cohen Brothers movies or not, but... They just have a real way with dialogue and oddball characters. Would you say that, that the quirkiness is that weirdness that was in the movie? Like, the Benzie, when they closed the business, like, he said, yes, I will have the money for you, I'm in. He did something, he, like, winked at him? Yeah, he was and coming on to him, like, in a, yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. He was like a, <laughs> yeah. I played that scene several times, like, what is he doing? Why? Well, because Ed, Crane, Ed Crane's like impossible to read. So he's like, eh. Yeah. I'll take a shot. You know, like, why is the guy still sitting here? Just I, He's like impossible to figure out. All right. So like nobody understands him. He doesn't understand himself either. And so this guy's like, eh, maybe he's into me or something, you know? Yeah. And that's why like the guy goes like, oh, well, okay. So I guess just business, huh? He calls him a pansy and a pansy is like a feminine boy. Ah. Like, don't be a pansy. The quirky characters, I mean, are more like the detectives that show up. <laughs> oh, my God, yes. <laughs> the, those kind of characters, those kind of oddballs. Or Birdie's dad was quite a strange guy. Not the salesman guy, I don't think. But also the situations, though, they're pretty, you know, like, it's funny because of the main character. 
all the situations he gets to. With like the salesman is like a good one. You see his face and you're like, oh my God, well, here we go again. You know, this random salesman. I like how he's just like, you're out of line, Buster, or something like that. <laughs> but he doesn't even really, I don't know. He doesn't care. You could tell that the James Gandolfini character is the type who would beat him up for that. It's kind of homophobic alpha male. Definitely. Yeah, of course. You find out later that the James Gandolfini character, Big Ed, or Big Dave, sorry. Um, <laughs> Big Dave, like Big his Ed. whole life is based on like lies, like fake stories about him during the war and stuff. So even the people in the film who seem to have like richer lives, it's like a surface level thing, but he doesn't have the same kind of existential pangs that Ed has. He is kind of happy and content in a lot of ways because he's ignorant of the questions I think that Ed is having that even he couldn't probably put into words. Well, we see that when he's like trying to say that stuff with a hair. He's having the moment where he's kind of getting to it, but doesn't really know how to put it to words. And everyone just looks at him like, what are you talking about? Like, don't just, just talk about the weather or talk about, you know, nothing that's like strange. The new haircuts or something like that. You know, you're a barber, so you should care about, In you contrast know. To, to Ed Crane, everyone's talking a bunch in the film besides him. Everyone's got stuff to say, but it's all meaningless. And it's annoying to you as the viewer too, like his brother-in-law who works in the barbershop with him, he just keeps going on and on and on and won't shut up. But Ed never even cares really or rises to, and he does, he'd rather it was like silent, but he goes along with anything pretty much. I did very much admire him <laughs> that he didn't kill him. Exactly what they show, and it's just on and on about nothing. Yeah, but even that doesn't really bother Ed that much. He doesn't really care. He just knows it's there, you know, and that's going to happen and he cannot do anything about it. I don't it. think he doesn't care. He said when he was hiring a new barber, which he said, I tried to hire somebody who talked the least in the interview. I think he prefers quiet. He doesn't fire that guy once he finds out that he talks a lot. He just goes along with it. I think because he's not confident enough. He's also an introvert. So he avoids such situations. I like don't firing think that they them. ever show him not being confident, really. Not in that way. Okay, assertive then. He's not really. They would depict it, I think, a different way than that. It's just a listless, like, oh, well, whatever. I thought I got the guy who talked the least, but in the end, he talked a bunch. If he complains, then he doesn't like it, and he would like to change it. That's the thing. I feel like he cares, but not enough to do something about it. He mm. would rather things were different. He just doesn't care enough to act upon it. I think that is the point that man who wasn't there, he's not really there in his mind so what i reject for me at least in my opinion it seems to me that you're saying that he's got like emotions that he is suppressing and in a movie like that typically by the end you would see them explode in emotion that never happens in this film he remains the same even up until the moment of his death pretty much back to that ebert quote like he's saying oh this guy's so bored that he could scream and i just don't see it that way at all i agree with davinia she said he doesn't like it but he doesn't care enough to change or yeah, to that's do what anything I said, about though, it too yeah. then i agree mm -hmm. with both of you okay there was an interview with francis mcdormand uh, who played mm -hmm. his wife doris that mm. this movie was not made for color and if you would see it in color it was just it would just be horrible experience it would deter from the movie i think the coen brothers could make it work but i know what she's saying and i agree i would probably have to be different it was actually called untitled barber movie before they actually named it in the end oh, mm. pretty fitting mm, yeah, in a way yeah. so there's a lot of ufo things strewn throughout the film whether it's like a newspaper article that you can see somewhere 
or the cover of the magazines. There's little things throughout. Many effects too. Like when he's on the hospital, the light is represented as like a UFO at first, and then you see the light. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. And this is pulp era sci-fi. Aliens were kind of hot, I think, in that time period. You have Roswell, for example. One and only the UFO in this movie actually seen is it was in a prison. He woke up, everything was unlocked. He went outside and there was the UFO. I was thinking like, if this is real, this movie flops. <laughs> I was like, ready, one out of 10. But then wow. luckily it's okay. It was a dream. It was a dream. No problem. Fine. So yeah. It was. I was already I mean, primed. You can interpret it as a dream, uh, but maybe it was. Maybe he was really abducted. A lot of people would think that their abduction experience was a dream later on. I don't really think that, but I'm just saying. Either way, I think you can view it a lot of ways and the symbolism of it. I think this was much more ordered and better explained movie than our previous one, which is the most crazy episode we've done so far, which is Naked Lunch, I think, right? Well, that was a couple episodes back but yeah be interesting to contrast ed crane with <laughs> william from naked lunch because they're both kind of passive people in a lot of ways and they have similar reactions to like infidelity with their wife true weird davinia do you have such deep insight into this movie or complete agreement with your loved one mostly yeah. mostly what is the disagreement mostly there? not disagreement but like we're too different people i would put it in different words maybe but it's the same wow. feeling i want to find a movie that will put you against each other i want to see it's at least one well that'd be an interesting experience for the two of us too this is why we're doing this this is my secret agenda <laughs> <laughs> well i hope you find it because it would be interesting there will be episodes to be heard we all have like secret agendas mine is for miro to finally like a Japanese animated movie. <laughs> you have a long way to go there. <laughs> I know, and I will find it. I will find the What's one. Kyle's agenda. Mine is to, man, I can't say it without sounding like pretentious. Come on, I will edit you to sound uh, better. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here just to talk about movies, all of them, the good and the bad. And educate us. No, 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 no. I'm just a humble man. Oh, yeah. Okay, this much. is pretentious now. <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. It's just like what the piano teacher said about Birdie. You're Birdie, man. And I want you to find the soul of art. Embrace it, Miro. <laughs> Birdie was told that she will never be an artist. So exactly. What are you saying? Well, I'll buy that Birdie, guy. I will never be the great philosopher, Kyle. I also think that French teacher was full of bullshit. Oh, yeah. He was really really decadent she really had no passion for piano she would have liked to do better because it would have made him happy she doesn't care and what's easier than learning a piano blowjob <laughs> yeah that's a skill the man's got some restraint i'll say yeah and uh, there was a very interesting point of view from the behind the scenes they made the joke when there was an interview about this movie with them that billy Thornton brings the character to life, which then they stop like, well, that's an oxymoron, actually. <laughs> <Because he's not. laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I got to give special credit to him because I actually think this is like a really tough thing to pull off. I, I agree. Yes, his acting was very good here. And for him still to be like, in my opinion, at least quite sympathetic as a character. Because you have to think about the narration wasn't there at the point of the shooting. So sure. he had to, yeah. sometimes he had to just stare off into nothingness with nothing to act off. Yeah. yeah, good one. Why do you think his wife ultimately killed herself? You find out later that she was pregnant and we know that 
he would know it's not his baby. It would be the other guys. He said we didn't have sexual relations. He said it so officially. We didn't have sexual relations. First of all, I think she knows that he did it because he says to the lawyer, like, I did it. He basically confessed. And the lawyer's not really listening. No one really listens to him at all. Actually, props to the lawyer that was played by Tony Shalhoub. Wonderful performance, I think. And he enjoyed it as well. He said so in the interview. And he wasn't really looking for truth, just a good story for the jury. To me, the scene with the lawyer, when he confesses and says, no, I killed him. She looks at him like, I believe you're telling the truth. I would say maybe since he admitted it, she was disgusted and didn't want to be with him anymore. So she rather killed herself than to go out because she knew that the uh, lawyer, Freddy Reidenschneider, <laughs> the name, <laughs> the last name, that he would actually get her off because he was a very successful lawyer. And then she would have to go back to the murderer. Maybe she was really in love with James Gandolfini and didn't want to get out and go back to the life with Ed. She married him because he doesn't talk much. <laughs> That's what she liked about him. And so she instantly wants to grab him up. Two weeks. That's all he took for her. I find it a mystery why she actually killed herself. I think there's lots of possibilities, but I don't think it's ever quite clear. Yeah. <sighs> Something to ponder. Watch it and maybe you'll find out. We can wrap this one up then, I think. I'll go ahead and I'll go first. I really like this film a lot. Uh, I do think it's an underrated Coen Brothers film. I love the Coen Brothers. I recommend everyone should check it out. And yeah, I give it an eight. Why would you say it's underrated? It has a very good rating on sites. But I think as far as Coen Brothers films, it's not one that's talked about as much. Compared to something like No Country for Old Men, Miller's Crossing, Big Lebowski... If there's a Coen Brothers movie people haven't seen, it's probably this one's one of them. Okay. I was very split about it, but after watching it and pondering it for a while, I have decided it will be 7 out of 10 for me. Okay. I liked the format, black and white noir, and also the narration in the background was kind of interesting. More interesting sometimes than the actual happenings in the film. As I think it was intended that Ed was more of the introverted thinker than kind of experiencing life. He's like a prop in the set. That's really good. Surprise, surprise. Hey. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> also love mm. the style. The character is such a unique main protagonist. It's a solid eight. If everything about it is good, why is it eight? Why is it not ten? There's other things that, by logic or passion or whatever, I like better. All right. And that's done. Boom. Not bad. And there you have it, folks. You just heard a review of the movie, The Man Who Wasn't There. Our average rating for this movie is 7.7 .7 out of 10. It does happen a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, am I reading these right? Yep. It was like a, a wave of 7.7s. Okay, it is what it is. If it happens, it happens. In any case, tell us what you thought of this episode on Twitter, at MovieClub underscore pod. We'd be happy if you would rate us as well on your favorite podcast platform, where you can also find more movie reviews by the Movie Club. You can join Movie Club and support us by visiting our Patreon page and subscribing to one of our membership tiers. The links will be in the description of this episode. Next week, we'll be talking about funny games. Don't forget to check it out. Bye-bye.